And we are back, folks. It's another week of the Inside Inside Sales Show. I am, I'm excited. You know what I'm excited? I'll tell you why I'm excited. I'm glad you asked. Thanks for asking. Um, I get to do something a little different this week. I'm not going to be talking to you this week. Instead, I want to introduce you to a brand new podcast that we're pushing out here at Vanilla Soft. Now, why am I doing this? You can just go subscribe to it yourself, which, by the way, you should do. Uh, Daryl, I tune in to listen to you and your guests. I don't want to listen to a different podcast. That's great. Let me, let me explain what, why I'm doing this. All right. The podcast is called The Zero to Five Million Podcast. And it's, uh, it's featuring two co-hosts, uh, my good friend, Sean Finder, who was co-founder of AutoClose. He, he's with VanillaSoft as our general manager for all AutoClose, uh, you know, development, sales, all that kind of stuff. And Ollie Whitfield, Ollie Whitfield, you would know he's, everybody knows Ollie. He's just in there. He's, he has a regular rant on our The Drive that happens every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern, where we recap the weekly news in sales that week. He's the product marketing manager for AutoClose. Uh, before he has uh, he joined us, he's worked with so many people, Vendor Neutral, Jay Barrows, like the list goes on, the people he knows and who love him. Uh, so the two of them are getting together and they're doing a podcast focused on leaders, entrepreneurs. All right. So what does that have to do with you listening to the inside, inside sales show? Well, I'll tell you why. A couple things. First off, we've talked before over and over and over again that learning is earning. So you need to expand your, um, just your knowledge so you can apply that. You'll be a better salesperson. You will relate better to your customers if you understand their story, right? We've had this conversation. You can't just do feature dumps and, you know, value props. You've got to connect with them relationally. So you need to know the world they live in. That's the first part. Second part, many young salespeople are mistaken to think that sales is the engine that drives the machine, which you get in an echo chamber of other sales reps and you all say the same thing and you're like, yeah. And when anybody from any department, especially marketing says to you, no, 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 we help too. You're like, BS, without us, you're nothing. And you're puffing your chest and you're doing your thing. And that's bogus. So the question comes down to how do I better understand the economic buyer, the, you know, the internal champion, which is often your senior leadership, often the CEO. How do I understand what they're living with? How do I include that in my outreach and my approach and in, in my conversations? How do I better understand the challenges they're facing to grow revenue? Cause that's what I'm tasked to do. And I'm growing revenue, right? And you start to understand when you listen to these entrepreneurs that often Sales is not the first or the second or the third place they invest. But they're going to go through, and they say, talk to Sean and Ollie, and they're going to share their story. And they're going to tell you where they invested and why. Or they're going to tell you how instead of going sales, maybe they went channels, you know, through resellers, for example, agencies professional services organizations, and why that strategy made more sense to them. Along the way, you're going to have a better understanding of how companies scale. 
You're going to be able to connect one-on-one. You're going to be able to then say, hey, maybe that's where I want to go in my career. Maybe I don't want to be a direct sales rep. Maybe I want to be a channel manager. Hey, that's interesting. I'm still kind of selling, but it's more relational, a little bit of marketing, a little bit of promotion. And that's, you know, maybe that's appealing to me. You see, for you to be a rock star sales rep, you need to understand the whole story. You can't just spend all of your time focusing on how to have better openers, uh, better killer subject lines, uh, better mindset, you know, better discovery processes, um, better storytelling. You need to understand how the process works, how companies scale. You need to understand what it's like to be an entrepreneur. Because who knows? Maybe that'll be you. In this first episode I'm about to share with you, you get to listen to, you're going to listen to Peter Caputo. I'm sorry, I said it every time, Caputa. <laughs> sorry, Peter. Uh, Peter was one of the early, early, early employees at HubSpot. And, uh, and he basically drove and grew their whole channel strategy. It's amazing. He's now the CEO of Databox, a very cool product. And he's going to walk through how he went from HubSpot to Databox. And one of the things that stuck out at me when I listened to this episode was literally how he's on top of the world with HubSpot. And after nine years, he goes to Databox and he's back to an extremely small company. And he himself as CEO is selling the product. He's the only salesperson when he gets there. That's right. The only salesperson. Imagine having that brand awareness, that cachet, that infrastructure, that access to budget and capital. And suddenly, even though you have the CEO title, you're back to selling. See, that's the thing. Sales skills span you in your whole career. And no matter how high up in the organization you get, you never stop selling. So the skills you're developing now will lead you to much success if you apply the lessons learned as you progress. Peter, fantastic example. I want you to listen to the Zero to Five Million podcast. I want you to give Sean and Ollie a shout out with your thoughts, your feedback, your suggestions. And then I want you to go subscribe. In the meantime, enjoy this. My name is Daryl Brill and this, my friends, is Inside, Inside Sales. Have a listen. Welcome to the Zero to Five Million Dollar Podcast. I'm Sean Finder and I'm with my co-host, Ollie Whitfield. This show is brought to you by Autoclose and VanillaSoft Company. Ollie, why don't you introduce today's guest? And we are so special. This is very special because it's actually our first guest on our new podcast. And uh, talk about what we're going to be talking about today, Ollie. Folks, I can't actually begin to tell you how cool this is going to be. I've not actually met this guest in person yet. So this is the first time that we're talking, but he has taught me so much. It's not even funny how much his Twitter feed and his LinkedIn feed, his company blog has taught me about generally how to grow a SaaS company. It's ridiculous at this point. So, you know, what more do I need to say? Uh, introducing Peter Caputo. Why don't you introduce yourself, Peter? Um, yeah, so I've been doing um, online marketing and building and selling software since the late 90s. Um, I built my first e-commerce site. Um, ended up... Uh, having my own startup for a while, really, really um, struggled to get that off of the ground. We kind of, we basically bootstrapped it for a while until I ended up meeting uh, the founders of uh, HubSpot. 
um, I should say, uh, Mark Roberge, uh, who was the first VP of sales. Uh, I ended up meeting the founders and they pitched me on the vision. I ended up joining HubSpot as a really early employee um, uh, in the, uh, I think I was the uh, 14th employee or something like that. Um, ended up staying there for nine years, uh, built out their, uh, a big portion of their sales and marketing funnel around uh, working with marketing agencies. For those that don't know, HubSpot is a, was started as a marketing software company. Um, and so I ended up uh, rising through the ranks there to ultimately to VP of sales. Um, and then after nine years, kind of uh, HubSpot was a really mature company. It was a public company by that point. I uh, was looking for a new challenge, looking to be entrepreneurial again, and ended up joining Databox as a CEO. Databox helps uh, companies pull all of their performance data into one spot. So from tools like Google Analytics and HubSpot or Facebook ads or QuickBooks or your SQL server or whatever. Um, so we'll pull all that data, allow people to set goals against it, track it, build data board or build dashboards, we call them data boards, uh, and ultimately improve their performance. Uh, by uh, paying closer attention and, and having more a data-driven culture. Um, so that's what I've been doing for the last uh, four years now. Um, we've grown the company. Uh, I guess I can share this since this is relevant to the title of the podcast. We've grown the company to uh, just shy of uh, $4 million. We're like 3.9 something million dollars. Close. Not quite at that <laughs> 5 million mark. I can show you I've built, uh, so I, I built a $100 million channel at HubSpot and was there from the beginning of that, started that. And then was was at HubSpot. Uh, I did the math the other day when I joined HubSpot. We were um, the month after we were doing uh, twenty five thousand in MRR. So uh, you can do the math on that. It was pretty pretty early at HubSpot. So, so we're going to have you back when you crack speak the five the zero million. five journey a few twice here. Cool. All right. Um, so the first thing that I wanted to ask you, Peter, is when you jumped into Data Box. I can imagine the first day you're getting used to a lot of things and just looking around that office floor, wondering what um, what the next move is, wondering how things work, getting a grip on that. Where did you start off when you're thinking, how, how are we going to grow this? Where did you start? What were your first plays and your first moves? Yeah, so like one minute of background on Databox. They had raised a bunch of capital before. Um, it's actually the founders of Databox are from Slovenia. They flew over here with no plan, no apartment, no funding. They started building code, writing code. They ended up getting into, long story short, they ended up getting into Techstars, incubating the, incubating the um, product. They got five $100,000 deals they closed with Fortune 500 companies, mostly around here in Boston, uh, to do mobile analytics. So pulling data out of systems and letting executives track it on their mobile phone. Back then, that was like the hotness. I don't know if you remember back then, but everybody thought mobile was going to take over the world. Um, and eliminate the need for desktop. So um, the value prop worked. Unfortunately, they started growing out the go-to-market team and it didn't work. Um, and so when I joined a few years later in 2017, there was like just a handful of customers paying a very small amount per month. They just pivoted to more of a self-service model where anybody could sign up for the free version of the product uh, and start using it. Uh, and so they had, you know, I think we had a lot, a few thousand MRR, uh, similar to like when I joined HubSpot. Um, there was no one on the go-to market side. It was just the only people left in the company. They slimmed it down after they had that first kind of um, shot and, and didn't, didn't quite work. They slimmed it down to just a very small engineering team. It was 12 people. Uh, I, there was one support person slash QA person. 
um, and 11 engineers and product people. Um, and so the first, to answer your question, the first thing that I did was got on the phone and started talking to prospects. Um, I had done some due diligence on both the product and the company and the investors and all of that. And so I had already started introducing Databox, the software, to a few of my close contacts um, at marketing agencies um, um, and had them start checking it out. And what I discovered pretty quickly, actually before I joined, was a lot of marketing agencies were doing very manual reporting. They were literally taking pulling data from different systems into spreadsheets. They were taking screen grabs, putting them into a slide deck, and that's what they would send over to the client every month. So it was clearly a very manual process. Um, and so I started pitching agencies on automating that process. Um, and I think, I, you know, in the first month I closed maybe 10, 15 of those deals. We weren't charging a whole lot then, um, but I would get them on board. Um, and so then that created an issue of like, all right, now I got to figure out how to onboard these people. So I did that for a while. At the same time, I opened up two positions, one for marketing uh, and one uh, for uh, customer onboarding or, or customer um, success. And so I hired two very junior people. I continued to do the selling. I proofed every blog post that we published. Um, you know, I was coaching uh, the new person that did onboarding because she had done a little bit in a previous job, but not a whole lot, certainly not in the context of marketing software and, and analytics. Uh, and so it was just the three of us for a little while. Um, I got lucky and one of my senior guys from HubSpot was looking for something new. He ended up joining me as, a, as a, our first salesperson. Um, and so in the first year, invest, we invested pretty heavily uh, in, in sales here in the U.S. Uh, that worked out really well. He got us to a few hundred customers. Um, along the way, a guy that I know knew from an agency um, was looking for a new marketing job. I've always respected him. John Benini is still with the company um, as our director of marketing. And so he came on board to expand the marketing team out. We really focused in on content marketing very heavily. Um, and still do. It's really the main driver of our of our marketing, the main activity we've taken. Um, at this point, four years later, we're um, we are uh, fifty five people. A little more than half of that are engineers. Um, about um, a third of that is uh, customer support, so a big portion of customer support, and the rest is sales and marketing. Um, I should say. Um, more than, a, yeah, a third of the total is customer support. So we have a big customer support team, a small sales team of three people, um, a marketing team of five people now. Plus, we rely on a lot of freelance writers for our content marketing. That's interesting because a lot of the stuff that, you know, we did over at, at AutoClose was, well, when I first started my first business at Exchanges, we focused so much on sales right at the beginning. And yeah. We, we tried to get the sales before we'd build the product. And what I did with my second one was right. I told myself, let's continue to build the product and the sales will come. Got so it. we kept double downing on the product and features and more features and more features. And yeah. as we continue to expand our product market, but one thing we didn't do is, as you mentioned, and I, and I totally agree with it, is the CSM role. That is such an important role that what we had was, you know, early on, it was actually me doing the demos. Yep. Closing the deals, doing the customer success, doing the support, and yep. I had Adrian beside me doing it. But we actually also do that customer success. But when we actually get in, got the customer success and implemented, like you said, like a 14-day trial or freemium model where they can go in and almost white glove them throughout that experience, yep. uh, it really took our business to the level the, to the next level with growth because we were bootstrapped as well. Yep. So it's very interesting how you know you guys went one way, we went very similar way, but 
um, kind of more double down on the product more than the sales because we just felt like if we can't continue to grow our product, um, especially with already competitors yeah. in the market, that we're going to be we're going to fall behind our competitors. So we have to continue to double down on the product, but let the sales come. It's it's an interesting way. It makes sense. I don't know that our investment in product would be that different because before I joined, they invested about a million dollars in the product. So that's so there was really a product there. I should say the the kernel of a product, the most important part of the product. We. We've drastically improved the feature set yeah. um, and uh, the UI and the UX and um, and all of that. But the the hard part of our product is that we have to we we've literally built and managed seventy integrations. Yeah. So a lot we had ten core integrations when I joined. Um, yeah. And we built off of that basically. And we were um, and then and the more than, more than fifty percent yeah. of our headcount is has always been in product. So yeah. Um, so I think we're pretty heavily invested in product. Um, there were a lot of iterations with refining the features yeah. and adding some smaller features um, along the way in that first year or two to kind of get to the point where we could sell to a broader part of the market. But in the beginning, I had my customer onboarding person only working with marketing agencies. And the majority of our time was actually in, in the beginning working with HubSpot partners, yeah. helping them automate their reporting. So we were very focused in the beginning on who we were selling to. Yeah. That said, like more than 50% of our sales are still touchless, meaning we don't have a sales call with them. That's good. Back then, uh, you know, in the first year, it was even higher. So we've always had um, a lot of sales that that uh, didn't require a lot of onboarding because we've invested a decent amount in the UI and the UX in the onboarding process in app. So a lot of your customers come on through some kind of organic or uh, maybe SEO as a channel, something like that. Yep. And, and I've seen a lot of the content that you have on the website. You're you're talking quite a lot about the integrations you have, and of course, as you yes. said, there's a lot of them. So that's a lot of content that you've got. Yeah. Is that like fair to say that's the winner? That's where a lot of people. Are yeah, I think from. I think like the big opportunity going live in that world. They're they're always trying to consume that. So you're just on the pulse with it. Yeah. Um, so obviously coming from HubSpot, uh, I'm a big believer in content marketing. So it work there. And of course, with all of many of our customers, um, and I, you know, it can be a huge driver of, of any business. And I think it scales well because an investment today has a, a you know, a return, a long-term return, not just a short-term return. Um, but, um, what I really loved about Databox was, was that we could, our content marketing could be so broad. Um, we can write about Google Analytics one day, then QuickBooks the next, or you know, website analytics and accounting the next. Um, and so uh, that gives us a massive, uh, you know, no no limit potential market that we can address. Obviously, we can't do it all at once, and we've we've really been very focused on marketing and kind of one integration at a time. Uh, so like, we'll create a lot of content around Google Analytics, or then we'll create a lot of content about Facebook ad, Facebook ads, and and go from there. Um, so, uh, but yeah, big believer. Content's a major driver. We get about forty five hundred signups for the free product every month. Um, it's all coming from content. We don't spend a dime on on ads. Yeah. Um, you know, we don't really have we have an affiliate program, but we don't invest much into it. Um, so it doesn't really produce a lot. Um, so, so yeah, it's a uh, it's content is is really the driver. Uh, and you know, we we're publishing eight new articles every week um, that are educational in nature, like something informative that's designed. Hey, that's a lot. It is, yeah. That's a machine. 
So, so Peter, I do have a question. When did you guys invest, I guess, you know, because you guys are so content driven, when did you guys invest in, I guess, your first SEO employer, someone to help you guys with the SEO? Because I know one of the biggest mistakes yeah. we made was not investing in SEO early enough in the process. Right. I feel like we've gradually improved there, even to as late as like this month. Okay. Um, <laughs> but I, like the, you got like HubSpot, that's always sold for the first few years is yeah. the SEO tools and the idea of blogging. And so I, I know enough to be dangerous um, there. And, uh, but just this past quarter, so four years in, we went back and like we, we updated all our product pages. They're yeah. now long, they're much longer. Um, we have, everyone has a video. We show off, we have images that show off how to use the product, yep. multiple calls to action, FAQs, like, you know, value prop yeah. story before, after, like we, we, the, these product pages are a gold standard. And they popped. They went from like second, third page for high key, high volume, high, high intent keywords to, to first page, um, literally like two days after we relaunched them. So we're still improving. Um, we actually plan to launch, uh, and, and you know every piece of content we do now goes through a process of keyword research, yeah. keyword research. We have a, a plan for the quarter and all that. So, um, so. We've always been doing some element of SEO. I'd say that we're still refining. I think as of late, we have a pretty good process, but I still think it could be a bit better, more regimented. So. Yeah. Okay, so the next question we wanted to ask you uh, was, you know, you know, how do you guys, you know, make your self-service users like stick to your customers? So I know that's something we talked about was the freemium, the self-serve. Talk to us about, a little bit about that for the audience. Yeah, we're in an interesting situation that it's actually a bit of a complex sale not in the traditional sense of like an enterprise sale where you got to get you know six different people to buy in although we often have to get multiple people to buy in um but more in the sense of that the product is actually a, a custom tool um and by being a, a tool that can be used in a in a custom way for every user it's difficult for us to actually one figure out what they want and to get them to explain it and two then you know, figure out how to do it. Um, and so, you know, unlike other software, even like a HubSpot CRM, where there might be some slight variation in how you use it, your sales team might be structured slightly different. Yeah. You're all going to use deals. You're all going to use contacts. Yeah. You're all going to use company <laughs> accounts. Like that's different for us. Like somebody might come to us and say, you know, I'm using Pipe and Google Analytics and yeah. SEMrush. Uh, next day, somebody's going to say, well, I got to integrate my custom SQL database um, uh, with my product usage information. And I want to correlate that, that to my information in intercom. Yep. So like there's all these use cases really difficult. Um, so the approach that we've taken is just building a, a, a big support team. It's actually the first team I'd say we scaled this year. We'll scale more of our sales team, cool. but the support team was the first team I'd say we scaled. Um, you had a, a guy, another guy actually had joined me from, from HubSpot that I only worked a little bit with there. But, um, you know, he joined a few years ago as our director of customer success. And his first thing was like, we got to do a knowledge base. I'm like, what do you need a knowledge base for? I'm like, why can't you just like answer the questions, right? Or how could you even start building a knowledge base? Yeah. But he was right. We built the knowledge base um, and that worked out really well. That actually laid the groundwork for us to do chat efficiently. So that was the next thing we did. I pushed back on him too. I'm like, we have trouble keeping up with the email tickets. When we add chat, how are we going to possibly keep up with staff? <laughs> And we, we, I'll correct you a little bit. We didn't, we're not fully bootstrapped because we raised money before, but for the last two and a half years, we've been break cash flow break even and managing to that. Amazing. So, um, 
So we went with, uh, we started doing chat and uh, I said, all right, we'll start with the people who like might buy. So we started with the website. Um, and so like, we got a little bit of time, like, all right, and like, you know, he's like, all right, well, can we expand it after that? I'm like, wait two weeks. And like, so like three days later, he expanded it without telling me. And now, and then we started doing chat, um, chat across the whole customer base. And that's been huge because, you know, when somebody ha- is, decides like, hey, I'm going to go build this dashboard and data box and they can't figure it out, it might be another week and a half before they get back to it if they can't figure it out then. Yep. So by offering that chat and that immediate support and our response rates in the, you know, low single digit uh, minutes, not seconds, what we'd like it to be, but, um, but, you know, we respond within a few minutes and we can help them then, they're much more likely to move forward. I actually don't have great data on this. Uh, <laughs> probably uh, surprisingly, um, but we also use our support team to then identify sales opportunities that our sales t- sales team then works. And Good. the close rate on those is really high. Yep. Um, and um, we're able to, um, you know, out of the 4,500 people that sign up for a free product and the th- roughly 1,000 people that sign up for a trial every month of our paid version, yep. you know, we can identify through chat the hundred out of the 150 who are likely to buy and so that our sales team can focus in on those hundred people so Peter, you just discussed about a hundred different moving pieces of the puzzle there there's a lot of stuff going on (laughs) where and how on earth do you even start with planning the prioritization of all that i mean that's you got a lot of things going on there how do you juggle all of it and put it into a piece of paper with yeah an order to it we probably write about 15,000 words um, in narrative form uh, to, to, to do that. Um, I'll, but I'll back up. I'd start with saying that we're, we're very good users of project management, especially our project, uh, our product team, and especially our support team. So like that support connection and product connection is tighter than I've ever seen in a SaaS company. Um, and, and we have processes for not only capturing like bugs and issues, of course, but capturing uh, uh, enhancement requests, as well as capturing things that confuse users, yep. counting the number of times that happens and then solving that in the product org. And we prioritize that in real time like that. We don't wait months or quarters to do that. That all happens, you know, at a minimum on a weekly basis and in some situations on a daily basis. Um, and of course, the marketing team uses it for our content. So, like, oh, yeah, we're we're publishing not just eight new eight eight new pieces of content. It's just we're publishing generally like twelve pieces of content each week. Uh, eight eight pieces of content are crowdsourced, and so you can imagine the amount. And some of it's video, some of it's um, long form, all of it's long form, but some of it's like five thousand page pillar pillar pages. So we're doing everything in project management. So long story short, first thing is like tight project management. Um, second thing would be tight processes. Like we have a we have. Somebody was telling me our processes for support document is now 200 pages long. I think we're outgrowing our Google Doc. Need to find a better solution, but but um, we're very tight on processes. And then third, every team sets goals in two ways: what they're going to do that quarter, and what result we expect from that. Um, and so every quarter, uh, each director I have a director for marketing, sales, customer support. Um, our, our product and engineering team, as well as our integrations team is a separate, a separate team that builds and manages our integrations. Um, and so each one of them write a long form report about, you know, what are our goals numeric, if we can, um, you know, and certainly in marketing sales and support it's numeric. 
Um, and then what are, what are our ongoing activities that we will continue and roughly how much of those will we do? So we write how many blog posts we're going to publish. We write how many integrations we're going to build, how many yeah. metrics we're going to add to our integrations, et cetera. Um, and then lastly, any new initiatives. So for example, for this quarter on the marketing side, um, we're hiring a market research analyst so that we can do market research reports yep. um, for a variety of reasons. Um, and, and so that, that initiative is written up in detail and exactly how we're going to go about doing that. And we have an interview process and sure. job well, posting. That's definitely how you hold people accountable when you, yeah. uh, when you put all that. But listen, um, this, is, this has been amazing. Um, I just want to kind of wrap things up here um, because I know Peter, probably the three of us can talk for hours, but uh, this is a podcast. So we'll wrap things up here. One last question I have for you. You just, you provided a wealth of knowledge. Um, how do you, A, self-educate yourself? You know, do you listen, do you want to read books? Do you listen to podcasts? Like, how do you grow your, your self-intellect? Yeah. My wife uh, laughs at me because I, I probably buy like four or five books a month. And then I read like to chapter two before I get antsy. And I'm like, all right, I don't need to read this. I know most of this stuff. I just need to go back to execution. And so as an entrepreneur, I'm always struggling. Like, do I sit down and sketch out a plan uh, or do I sit here and read this book? And so I try to balance that because books do give me a really good framework for communicating things. Um, I, I tend to read books that reinforce stuff I either have learned or done before or even um, uh, like read about, you know, online before, but they, they do give really good frameworks because somebody smart sat down and thought about that topic for a while. So I do read a lot of books. My favorite lately is how to be a capitalist without capital by uh, Nathan Laka. And then I've been reading uh, seven powers and then um, machine platform crowd um, by uh, Andrew McAfee. Um, and uh, those are, those are three books that I've been, you know, kind of skimming and reading for a little while now. Um, and then I love podcasts. Uh, I take the dogs for the walk for a walk or if I'm going, you know, going shopping or whatever, um, I'll try to uh, just put, put my ear, ear, um, earbuds in and listen yeah. to podcasts. So um, I also love Nathan Latka's podcast on SAS. Um, I listen to a bunch of podcasts that are tar- actually recorded for marketing agency owners. Uh, helps me kind of stay abreast of what marketing agencies are thinking and continue to learn there so that we can help marketing agencies, which is our, you know, our core market. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's what I'm up to. And then uh, I guess lastly, where can people find you? Uh, I'm, I'm pretty active on Twitter. My Twitter handle is PC for media, as Ali mentioned. Uh, I, I publish, uh, I do a lot of sub tweeting there uh, <laughs> after conversations or after planning um, where I'll, uh, I'll uh, try to distill some thoughts down into small characters or threads. Uh, and then um, I'm on LinkedIn as well, Peter Caputa. Um, I don't log into LinkedIn as much because I find that it's really easy to get caught up in there uh, talking to people <laughs> um, and, and spend a lot of time. So. Perfect. Well, uh, thank you so much, Peter, for joining us. It's been an absolute blast, uh, an incredible uh, talk with you. Um, also, thank you, everybody, for listening today. Uh, if you enjoyed the show today, uh, don't forget to give us a five-star review wherever you're listening and sub- subscribe um, so you don't miss our next show. Once again, Peter, thank you so much. You're welcome. Pleasure.